Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We're facing the Indianapolis Colts at their stadium, where we've apparently never won before. Joining us now is Pete Macris. Welcome, Pete. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. So, Pete, let's get a little bit of a backstory. How did you become an Indianapolis Colts fan? <laughs> yeah, I get to ask this question all the time. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe that growing up as a Raven fan in the Raven household that you find one Colts fan here. But that, just growing up, I think having a brother who was a Patriots fan at heart, you know, it's always that, that rivalry. He was a Tom Brady <laughs> fan and his main rival's Peyton. So I started always liking the teams that he hated. And it kind of grew from there. And I think one of the first games I ever remember watching is actually that famous Monday night football game against the Bucks. Peyton leading them back. And I'll never forget that game. And ever since then, it's been Colts all the way through all the good times. And, you know, nowadays you see all the rough times we had. So, you know, we didn't get to capitalize on it so often, but we're heading back in the right direction now. So it's always good to experience the the pain and the joy at the same time. Yeah, and I guess now no one can uh, can accuse you of being a bandwagon fan now that Peyton's been gone there almost a decade now and, no luck, and now you guys are uh, you guys are stuck with with Philip Rivers for a year at least, and we'll get to Philip, I'm sure. But oh, it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, going in, everyone knows who Philip Rivers is. He's just at this point in his career, he's just really a game manager. When you go from Peyton to Luck, and you're you've had the quarterback success, you almost feel kind of lucky. You don't have those down years. You don't have to struggle and worry about. Oh, when's my net? When's how many years are we going to go by until we actually get a good talent? Then you see, once Luck got hurt, we got stuck with Jacoby Brissett. You know, everyone considers him to be a great backup, but you know, when he's starting, it's not always the greatest. And now you move on to Philip Rivers once again, another new quarterback, another new face in the organization. And you know, he's on the downside of his career now, obviously, he hasn't really light up the stat sheet or anything like that but he's you know that veteran presence in the locker room he brings a lot more experience whether it's the leadership qualities that we've lacked for a very very young team you know that's something that's been missing Jacoby was never that that guy in the locker room he didn't have that many starts in New England he didn't have that kind of game experience under his belt so that's always the positive thing bringing in Rivers the 25 million Definitely, definitely don't see the price tag on that. Never wanted that kind of money to be spent when we definitely need more talent on the defense. I'd rather spend more on the depth of the team. But, you know, it's always good to have at least a above average to a really good quarterback that still can win you games when you really need it, especially those close games that we certainly lost many times last season. Yeah, looking at it, the Ravens are 5-2 and two right now. Indianapolis is five and two as well. Although if you look at their schedule, it doesn't seem like they've really been any marquee teams yet. So this might be one of their first really big games of the season. Do you think they're overperforming right now? How would you view that record? I'd say pretty much where I expected them to be at the beginning of the season. Nobody expected the Vikings to be, you know, a below average to a not so good team. Everyone thought they were going to be, I would say, roughly around the same record the Colts currently have, maybe a four and three, five and two type of situation. But again, Kirk Cousins for them, he was he's always an up and down quarterback. So as you say, have we beaten a quality team? I 
I'd like to think that we may have had one quality win on our schedule because of the Vikings at the beginning of the year. No one thought they were going to be this poor, but I think overall I expected us to be around four and three, five and two as well. You know, it's tough to gauge in a division that's, you know, hit or miss. Some years it's been good. Some years it's been bad. But going off of where we came last year, you definitely see a team that's more hungrier and more youthful team trying to rebuild from the Ryan Grigson era that we all know as Colts fans have were such poor and poor times. I do want to look at that Vikings game that you got, you're talking about because it's kind of been an, a tale of two halves of the first half of the season for the Colts defense from how I see it. So you had that three-game streak where you guys only gave up 11 points to the Vikings, 7 points to the Jets, 11 points to the Bears. And in the Vikings game in particular, guys, you guys had three interceptions and you held Dalvin Cook to 63 yards on the ground, which is quite a feat given that probably the only running back hotter than Dalvin Cook right now is Derrick Henry. But then the last three weeks, you guys have really been giving up a lot of points. Granted, the offenses of Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Detroit are slightly better than those previous three. I think the, the question there is, like, is this defense just an average unit that's just showing up against the bad teams but struggling with the better offenses, or is that downturn in defense to the result of some injuries? Well, I think going back to when our defense was above average in the early in the 2000s and early the two early 10s when we were running a 4-3 scheme, our run defense was a little bit better then, not saying that we were that good or anything like that. But when once we switched to the 3-4 defense in, in the last five or six years, it started giving up yard after yard after yard, and we didn't have the talent to actually you know, fill those gaps between injuries and more focus on the offensive side. We just didn't have the talent. And one of the best things that um, Ballard's done for us is he's starting to bring in that youth. We brought in guys like DeForest Buckner. We brought in guys like Taekwondo Lewis from Ohio State. We brought in Justin Houston. Um, we had made a lot more improvements, and you could see this year we've gone up to the number one or the number two rush defense. We're only allowing about 80 yards to like 84 yards a game on the ground. Yeah, we had that really good game against Devin Cook. We haven't faced the most elite running backs yet, so our next stretch of games is where we see – is this Colts team legit? We facing the Titans next week after the Ravens. So that's two great running teams. Then we face, I believe it's the Packers and the Titans once again. So that's when we'll see, is this run defense that's been elite so far this year? Is it legit? Or are we just seeing like taking advantage of rough teams who have had some injuries with Mixon and with Nick Chubb, et cetera, like that. And, I won't, don't want to forget that the Colts' pass defense is also the ranked, I think, coming into week uh, seven or week eight, is it, uh, that we're only giving up uh, about 200-some passing yards. I think it's 202 passing yards, I think, a game. If I have that stat correctly. And so that was like second in the NFL coming into the week. So that's you seeing the youth stepping up in full form at the moment. Yeah, it looks like it's 213. I've got it up right now on ESPN good for six in the league, which, yeah, I think that I was surprising to see those ranks as high, um, given, I guess, probably because the only Colts game I've seen this year was when they played uh, Cleveland, and Cleveland's offense is, we'll say, spotty at best. (laughs) 
So where, where have these uh, these points been coming from the last couple of weeks? Because we're seeing that that the Colts have are pretty high up here in the rankings. Like this is where we've seen some of the best Ravens defenses live. You know, when they've they got both units as top ten. Well, I think the defense this year is it's it's causing a lot more turnovers than we've seen in past years. Xavier Rhodes coming out of nowhere, revitalizing his career. He's had multiple interceptions this year, returning at least one for a touchdown, having Phillip Rivers work on shorter fields than we've had in the past. Phillip Rivers is hitting key open targets and a lot more trickery you've seen from Frank Wright this year. Trey Burton's been taking a lot of snaps directly out of the backfield. You've seen a lot more. um, Yeah, you've seen a lot more movement with the nice addition of Jonathan Taylor. He's been having some nice catches out of the backfield a lot more ebbs and flow and you're seeing things are starting to connect. And I think it's the key is the defense has been stepping up more and more. That's why uh, we've had shorter fields. And let's not forget last year, as great as Anna Vinatieri has been in his career last year, he missed a total of 15 or 16 kicks between extra points and field goals. So that's a lot of points that were left on the field. We lost about five or six games, I believe, in one score game that we should have won based off of just kicking alone. Blanket ship this year has only missed a total of two kicks, 16 out of 18 on kicks. And so, you know, that that glasses wearing guy out of Georgia, <laughs> never thought I never thought I'd see this guy coming into the NFL, let alone playing for my Colts. But he's stepping up, making kicks when we need it. And we're not leaving as many points on the field as we usually do. And that's one of the reasons why you see us actually scoring more points this season. Though, you know, we're only scoring about 28 points a game. That's still only about 10th in the league. You know, I think that's a huge step forward. And in order to start beating some of these elite teams, we're going to have to score a little bit higher percentage in the red zone. And I'm pretty sure right now we're in near the bottom and half of the league. I don't have the stats in front of me, but we're not converting when we need to. And, you know, it's only a work in progress. Remember, no training camp, no OTAs, just like every other team. And when you're installing a new quarterback with Phillip Rivers, bringing in Jonathan Taylor with no NFL experience, Marlon Mack goes down in week one once again. You know, it's almost like the offense is a work in progress. So I like to, I'm just happy to see that, you know, it's moving in the right direction. I don't think many people as a rookie get a nickname so fast as uh, Rarito Goatenship. Uh- <laughs> for him to be referred to i mean he's been kicking so many field goals uh <laughs> and doing pretty well so i'm glad to hear that you have a place kicker that actually is uh at least you know league average now come on adam Vinatieri, put some respect next to this guy's man's name come on <laughs> like, well, doing that for 20 25 years like come on no i know i know I, I, i'm not hey. I'm, I'm but uh, you know like he just said he missed a lot last year like he definitely like i think the people were t- calling for him just to retire like <laughs> Yeah, like in the middle of the season, it was that bad. You were never used to seeing that from Vinatieri, too. So yeah. hearing him near the end of the season saying he was playing all year with an injury, you're like, geez, there must be a reason why the GOAT's not making anything nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Like, I can't imagine trying to be a kicker with an injury that's, like, making you miss that often. Like, that, that's the definition of, like, you should just not play. <laughs> like, there are enough, like, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's one of those positions where you can't like fake it, like it, it shows up quick. Lost a lot of nights sleep thinking about all those missed kicks. So, 
you said his name, so I have to come and talk about it. Jonathan Taylor, he comes out as this guy who is supposed to be like, you know, a one-man wrecking ball. Super explosive in the first game. You, you saw him catching balls out of the flat and just ripping down the field. He's one of those guys who's, what, like 230 but can run a 4-4. So he's just unbelievably quick. But yet, he hasn't been seeing the lion's share of, of carries. You've been seeing Wilkins and Hines you know, steal goal line work from him. And uh, everyone thought after Mac went down that, you know, Jonathan Taylor would be the heir apparent immediately. It was always a question of how quickly he would get the job. What are you seeing as a person who's been able to watch the games? Is Jonathan Taylor not performing? Or are they doing similar to Dobbins where they're just like, we refuse to acknowledge the brilliance of this man. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's run everybody else. Like, what, what are you seeing? And that's coming from a guy who likes Naheem Hines a lot. I think he's a good player. I think he has place in this offense. It's really the Wilkins stuff. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually kind of surprising a lot of fans and just a lot of even fantasy owners. For twofold for uh, Jonathan Taylor, as a guy who's a big Ohio State fan and who watched a lot of Big Ten football, I've seen a lot of uh, Wisconsin football games over the last three years. And, you know, he's may have racked up a total of 2,000 yards from scrimmage each of the last three years in college. And one of my biggest things was his performance in the big games. I was always worried because when he faced the teams like Ohio State, Michigan State, he struggled against good run defenses. He had the yards in college, and I was wondering, will that transfer over? He had the fumble issues in college, and he didn't have that NFL offseason to you know, work with the coaches, work with the team, and learn from Marlon Mack. So I think everyone coming into the season was thinking Marlon Mack is going to be there to ease the transition for Jonathan Taylor. He goes down right away, and Jonathan Taylor's put in. And you see that he's had his good moments, but he's also struggled. The thing with the Colts is this year they've had a lot of their formations, and they tend to play directly out of the shotgun. And that's not where Jonathan Taylor usually um, succeeds at. A lot of times his best runs, his best carries, even going back to college, I hate to go back to that, but um, I have the eye formation. I've seen many times this year when two or three consecutive plays that um, even if it's not working, we're constantly going back to the same well, constantly being the push and not changing up the different types of formations or the different types of um, ways you're getting Jonathan Taylor involved. And that's been really frustrating. A lot of Colts fans, they're thinking, all the creativity that Frank Reich has and he constantly preaches is they're, they're not putting Taylor in all the best situations. And it also doesn't help, as you mentioned, bringing in Wilkins and Hines. You're kind of constantly having this revolving door where you don't see the consistency in the amount of touches, the amount of reps that he's so used to getting. It's almost like when you look at the Ravens offense sometimes, you see Dobbins, uh, Ingram, and Gus no one's getting those consistent touches on a regular basis. They're constantly subbing in and out, in and out. You know, one or two touches here, a drive here, a drive there. But, you know, if you're not giving a young a young rookie two, three, four, or five consecutive drives, just feeding him, feeding him, like the Cowboys would have done with Zeke Elliott in his rookie year, that's why you haven't seen a lot of the consistency. We do have that great line that we've built over through the draft the last several years. So that's one of the questions I can understand where, where the heck is Naheem Hines? Why is he in the game? 
Jonathan Taylor, why isn't he getting the ball? It's very frustrating, but, you know, he, I think he only has like three rushing touchdowns from the season as well. So, yeah, and that's another thing that we're hoping to see more and more uh, break through in the second half of the season. Well, I will say as an impartial uh, third party, not being a Colts fan and having no shares of that Colts backfield in fantasy, I will <laughs> say it is very exciting when Hines scores a touchdown. I enjoyed uh, seeing those, uh, whatever you want to call them, I think uh, gymnastic twirls uh, <laughs> celebration. That was pretty cool <laughs> over the weekend. Well, I saw uh, you got a lot of uh, a lot of praise on social media for that. With Hines, it's like another thing. All these fantasy owners are like picking up. We're di- picking him up so early on in the season, and like he's sharing carries in the backfield, like two or three other guys. He's a he's a great receiving running back, and you know it's it's been an enjoy seeing him succeed in the offense this year when given the opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, I think what we're starting out with talking about here with the running backs, where you got Taylor, uh, Hines, and, and and Wilkins, we're really starting to talk about. Th- this entire offensive strategy. It's not just at that skill position, but it's like wide receivers and tight ends. You guys are just throwing so many guys out there. There's like, I don't even know if you can say that Taylor's the number one running back. And I certainly don't think you have a a number one receiving option on this team. Is that just kind of what the strategy of the Colts is? It's just, just run the plays and whoever happens to be open, that's just going to be the guy, I guess, especially with injuries to T Y Hilton and Paris Campbell. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, it seems ever since Andrew Luck went down with an injury several years ago, the year or two before he retired, uh, when Jacoby Brissett first stepped in, that the team has started transitioning more towards a run run offense or a more balanced offense to protect Luck from having to throw it 50 or 60 times a game as obviously his arm you know, started being worn out from the injuries then. And then last year we saw the emergence of Marlon Mack, the less of a pass threat between Jacoby Brissett, and they're like, I think Reich is like, this is where we succeed. We want to have our identity on the offense, and it seems like the run game is where it, where it's been. And so it seems like the passing um, passing attack is kind of taking a step back in a sense. And same can be said about T.Y. Hilton. He was fantastic with Andrew Luck all those years. And I would think that I was thinking going into the season that he was going to have a bounce back season, having a pass first or a pass happy uh, Philip Rivers at the helm, and it doesn't seem like that connection he had with Keenan Allen is transitioning over to this offense. You don't see the crossing routes, the slant routes, the inside cuts that you're used to seeing in the explosiveness of Ty this year. I think all the injuries he's picked up over the years is starting to catch up with him. You could see it. You know, his nickname is the ghost for a reason. He's always used to blow him by receivers or, excuse me, defenders. And nowadays, you don't see that. And it seems like Phillip doesn't have a lot of confidence in Pascal. And Paris Campbell, man, I'm a huge fan of his out of college. But he can't stay on the field. can't stay healthy. And Michael Pittman, we were had high hopes coming out of uh, USC in the offseason when we drafted him. And, you know, he's just getting back into the swing of things after his injuries this year. So that's one of the things where you don't we don't have a number one receiver because they're not all on the field. They all seem to be hurt and it's been a struggle. But when you look at Philip Rivers history, he's known the throwing to tight ends. That's why Antonio Gates had that Hall of Fame career. That's why Hunter Henry was so well regarded with Philip Rivers. 
you saw Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, and all those guys succeeded in the offense with Phillip. He's a constant check down quarterback, and he constantly looks through his tight ends, the guys who he trusts. And that's where you see this year we're going to Trey Burton more often. Uh, Mo Alley-Cox will also have the old reliable Jack Doyle. Those are his guys. For some reason, it's the tight ends and the running backs that seem to always uh, fit his style of offense. Yeah, this game's going to be confusing for Alec because he always uh, – I, I think he's moved away from it, but used to always get uh, Nick Boyle and Jack Doyle's last names mixed up. So <laughs> <laughs> I did too. Hey, look, I'm not the only one. <laughs> Yeah, if, if if this if this game turns into a, a tight end duel between Jack Doyle and, and Nick Boyle, I, I won't know what universe we fell into because I <laughs> I can see one of those two guys getting a touchdown. But at this stage of Jack Doyle's career and uh, with the other receiving options in Baltimore, don't think either of them are going to have their numbers called quite a bit in this game. But we'll see. One question I have, uh, Peter, is um, so are Burton and Doyle? I, I know that they've had some some injuries the past couple of weeks. So do you think all three of these guys are going to be uh, playing for this game coming up? Absolutely. Doyle, not as much. It doesn't seem like he's been more of a uh, receiving option this year. He's been more focused on the blocking schemes, which, you know, hit or miss. He's had, he's had issues with drops in the past. I think Trey Burden, since he's been activated a couple weeks back, that you've seen him installed in the offense a lot more because he's had that relationship with Frank Reich when they were in uh, Philadelphia together. So you've seen that trend. You've seen that kind of transition over to the Indianapolis offense this season. And Mo Ali Cox seems to always get big targets in the red zone coming out of nowhere. Who would have ever thought that guy would be a star uh, receiver at this offense? It seems to also be like that's the one thing that the Ravens defense struggles with a lot the big tight ends in the middle of the field when they like to, you know, the Ravens defense likes to take chances on a lot of times and they, they cover the deep ball well, and they're always leaving seams open in the middle of the field. So we'll see. But, you know, I think a guy to watch out for will be Trey Burton. So getting into that, so Pete, since you're also a Ravens fan, I think you'll be probably the best guest we've had so far to talk about this. It's just looking at, some matchups and how they're going to go in this game. Uh, you already mentioned, obviously, the Ravens defense does have issues with tight ends. I'm looking at a bit of what you guys do with Philip Rivers here. It's a lot of doing, running a lot of screens, a lot of shallow crosses, plays that can have some success against the blitz, which the Ravens do quite a bit. Uh, we saw Washington take advantage of that earlier in the season. Do you think that might be the game plan that the Colts go with with Rivers is just try and bait the Ravens in the blitzes and, and do that underneath stuff. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at the Ravens defense are notorious for blitzing. They're very good at it. They're very quick to the quarterback and Wink loves to send as many guys as he can. But the one, the good thing about the Colts offense is that line. Our guys, Quentin Richardson, you know, uh, Ryan Kelly, Costanzo, We've had probably, I would say, like one of the most consistent offenses, offensive line in the game nowadays. We're very young. I think this season we've only had one game where one guy was out and it's been very consistent. So I think that would match up well with the Ravens blitzing. And so, like you said, the best way to get by it is the screen passes. And Naheem Hines is constantly getting like four or five targets out of the back of the game. Jonathan Taylor's been gotten a lot of catches. And, you know, Philip Rivers is no spark chicken anymore. 
well, he never really was, but <laughs> you know, how else, how else are we expected to succeed in a game where, you know, it's going to be a defensive battle. I think that's the, going to be the key to the success for any hope to get a dub over the uh, Ravens this week. It's those three or four yard passes that may seem like it's a boring offense, but Philip Rivers is a methodical quarterback to begin with. So he knows what he knows what he's facing. And I think I'm more interested in hearing that, uh, that um, the trash talk between him and the defense to begin with anyway. I think another matchup that you have to look at and any defense that's going up against the Ravens for the first time since they've installed Lamar Jackson has to answer that question of how do you stop this guy? And even though he's been struggling the past couple of weeks, at least relative to what we've seen some of him in some of his MVP form last year, this is the first time this defense will be seeing Lamar Jackson. I, the last time the Ravens played the Colts, I remember because I was sitting in the freezing rain watching the Ravens try and blow a lead against Jacoby Brissett. And I think, what was it? It was Maurice Canada came up with the game ceiling interception in that game. Man, quite a bit has changed since then. <laughs> but um, yeah, how, does, how do you think this defense is going to fare against a mobile quarterback? Is Lamar and this new rushing uh, duo of, of Gus and Dobbins going to give him some fits or do you think actually this is something that the Ravens are going to have some success on, especially considering what they just did to the number one uh, rushing defense in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I got to say, I actually think Lamar is going to actually have a good bounce back game. We haven't really seen this season where Lamar's truly taken over on the ground and not to say that my Colts defense is, you know, I don't want to trash him or anything like that, but when you face a guy like Baker, who's not that really athletic, you know, and he's had a lot of success on the ground, scrambling out of the pocket, you know, then I'm worried that, you know, a guy like Lamar and his caliber, he's going to have a field day with this, with the front step, uh, the front seven, you know, as greatly improved as the front four as well, bringing the force Buckner, et cetera. I think it's going to be about containing, containing Lamar and forcing him to pass forcing him to be uncomfortable. We've improved greatly with that part of our defense this year, but I think if we can have our corners stay stay home, Kenny Moore loves to blitz, loves to ad-lib all the time, and I think that's where it's going to be a key. If we can have one or two of those guys send a message early in the game to Lamar, then I think, you know, long-term and throughout the rest of the game, it's, you know, it's going to be what it is. Lamar will probably get around 100 to 110 rushing yards. But if you can at least stop one part of his game, then the other parts will even out. You're not going to be able to stop everything that he does. Yeah, uh, I think the last episode we were just talking about um, one of the biggest struggles for the Ravens this year is just in general consistency from the offense, um, particularly from the offense. The defense has been much better this year than it was last year. So hopefully, uh, we're still kind of waiting to see it, but hopefully I'd say, you know, that would be the key matchup for this game is is really how the Colts defense matches up against the Ravens rushing attack. Because for the first time all season, the Ravens have really surely had some uh, major success running the football last week against the Steelers. And so if they can do that two weeks in a row, this could be something to really build on uh, moving forward for the next couple of games. Uh, that's absolutely true. Uh you saw they finally started feeding J.K. Dobbins, and they finally started feeding Gus Edwards. I think this past week you saw once you stopped rotating running backs in and out, in and out, in and out, like we were talking about earlier, and you had more consistency. That's the key word in everything. You get the running backs more consistent time, more consistent play, 
they'll be able to have more results. And you'd see that it worked last week with Dobbins' career game. Gus Edwards always performs well when, you know, he's a featured back. And, you know, that's something that the Colts defense, you know, has took pride in this year. The Force Buckner coming over from the Niners has been a huge, huge step in the right direction, bringing that leadership onto a defense that's notoriously had their struggles against the run in recent years. Robert Mathis, actually, he's still coaches and he teaches the young guys on this squad. And he's constantly preaching about containment. He's constantly sharing his thoughts on the best ways to stop young running backs nowadays. And it's going to be a real test. Can Buckner and them boys on the defense actually halt the run defense? I think it's going to be a nice battle. We'll see if one of the best run defenses so far can actually maintain that. But we'll see. I think Lamar is going to be the key factor in getting the Ravens offensive started. If he can run, then I have no doubt that the rest of the run offense for the Ravens is going to follow suit. It seems to be they feed off of his energy throughout the game to succeed. And if he starts off slow, then I think that's where the Colts will have their opportunity to strike. If you can stop early, then that's where I think is going to be the key to winning this uh, um, battle up front. I think the matchup I'm most excited to see, I know that we were talking about how uh, T.Y. Hillen's banged up and you lost Paris Campbell indefinitely, but you still have some interesting pass catchers, mainly like you mentioned the tight ends and the rookie Michael Pittman and the seemingly like always around Zach Pascal. Uh, (laughs) And I think it's worth mentioning the fact that Marlon Humphrey, you know, we're recording this Monday night, Uh, was diagnosed with COVID. No one knows if he's going to be the only person to pop as a, uh, a positive. And, you know, there's a, we already have a very thin secondary. Um, I think you'll have an opportunity to try to spread us out and get success. Similar to what Pittsburgh did to us. They started forcing us to go into the dime. And if we're one corner down, in addition to the corners, we were already down. That's going to be getting even nastier. Do you think this is a group that can capitalize on that? Well, so far this season, I think that's where uh, the Colts offense really hasn't shown a real, you know, amount of progress. And, you know, Phillip loves to hold on to the ball and he loves to look at every single option. So my thing is, is he going to be able to make those quick throws? We don't quite have the speed with T.Y. not being there. And we haven't seen Pittman to know, is he that guy to throw quick slants? It doesn't, it doesn't seem like the Colts have done a lot of that with their receivers. They tend to go, you know, they can tend to throw passes to their wideouts generally about 10, 15 yards down the field. And you haven't really seen Philip Rivers trying that short to mid-range game in this, in this season, which, you know, that's a little concerning to me when, you know, just trying to be a neutral perspective here on the situation. But, you know, I think that's where Philip is going to have to step up his game if we're going to want to succeed. We're only going to get about two to three seconds max with the the Ravens blitz every single week. And I don't think that the short game with the running backs is going to be the key to go the entire way. Well, speaking of COVID, we could we could uh, do a hot take on – did you guys see this, uh, this new plan the NFL is – uh, spitballing around to to deal with the fact that bye weeks are being used up with COVID. 
looks like this came out while we were recording that the NFL is throwing around the idea of expanding the playoffs to 16 teams. And it look it looks like that would just be like some games would just not get played in that case. You're going to expand the playoffs to, I guess, win percentage. <laughs> Do they realize more teams is a problem? I mean, I guess like once they're in the playoffs, doesn't matter, but like, <laughs> whatever. I, I think the important thing to realize is, is like, this is just something that came out. <laughs> yeah. I don't even see the point in adding more teams. It kind of dilutes the product and dilutes the meaning behind it each week. If your team isn't, you know, keeping up with the protocols, it's, that's on the team. That's not on the rest of the league to do your job. I just, if it's still astounding to me that this, this league had the most time to think it through. And it seems like they're like pulling shit on their ass. I'm like, come on, man. I could have done a better job, like figuring this out. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what were you guys doing this whole time? You just acted like you could wish it away. I, I feel like that's honestly their their approach. They're like, ah, oh, we're gonna just test a ton; and it's gonna be fine. And it's like, well, you saw it wasn't working that great with baseball. You didn't adjust. Like, it's a whole different situation with football. Like, baseball is a socially distant sport. <laughs> hey, and ba- baseball got it under control. Like they they like I feel like the rate of COVID tests. I mean, COVID positives you're seeing week in and week out with the NFL, like baseball had a lot at the start of it, but then as the, as the season wore on, it became much rarer for a positive case to come out. I agree. I, 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 I definitely think that's true. I think Goodell is just trying to find any excuse to justify the Cowboys or the Eagles getting a home playoff game. You know, <laughs> Ugh. it's terrible. It's terrible. We don't need more teams especially with bad win percentages. Just, you know, just tell the Cowboys or the Eagles just to go home for the year. <laughs> well, it does look like, I'm reading this article now, it's uh, the, the, I guess it's the top eight teams in terms of like division winners and then I guess the four highest behind that are automatically in, entered in here, but the actual positioning, the seeding is determined by win percentage. So in that case, like maybe the Eagles and the Cowboys do get in, but then they're seven and eight seed because you know they're seven and nine or six and ten or however, whatever their record's going to be. There's not that many good teams in the NFL. I feel like every year there's basically thirteen good teams, right? There's always like that one team that didn't make the playoffs that like seemed reasonable, but I don't think there's sixteen like actual reasonable teams to make the playoffs. I don't know. That feels stupid. It feels like the NBA is like playoff strategy. Honestly, I really only think there's like four good teams in each league and everyone else is just those teams that are overproducing. You really only have the Ravens, Titans, Steelers, and the Chiefs in the AFC. And then you obviously got Brady, the Saints, Seahawks, and Aaron Rodgers in the NFC. Other than that, no one's really up, up to that level in this league. Well, let's take it back. Let's take it back to COVID for a second. So like let's assume this game is still going to be played which you know again as of monday night is still very much up in the air i I do think it's it's going to be a huge problem for the ravens who have already (laughs) not had a a whole lot of corner depth if marlon needs to sit out which he probably will we've got uh marcus peters who is healthy uh jimmy smith who had an achilles injury last week but was able to play through it hopefully he plays beyond that uh was it dorsey and bonds is that it yeah we might be hitting a situation here where uh was it julian edelman like a really long time ago it was like a receiver but actually played like 
defensive back for a while? Are, like, are, are the Ravens going to have to turn to some receivers to play defensive back or something? <laughs> that's that's how uh, oh, Hollywood will get more action. Hey, He's yeah, going to start. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Hollywood, you're, you're complaining about your role on the team? <laughs> <laughs> play both ways. <laughs> that sounds like a disaster. The guy's so small, he just like, gives up half the time when it wants, like, comes to contact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll throw him out there on defense. He'll get he'll get more catches from Philip Rivers than Lamar. <laughs> oh my gosh! Hey, that's true. He forces everything. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely something to be concerned about. You know, if if there's any silver lining to this, I mean, I think the trade for uh, Nagakwe is is definitely something to, that could help offset it a little bit. Just because you know, maybe the Ravens can force the Colts to play a little bit more into heavy personnel. And I don't think they're gonna love it, but I think you're going to see Judon go into coverage more often. That's another way to kind of solve that problem a little right. bit. Yeah, have some more linebackers play off. Can't understate the flexibility Judon provides, and I'm hoping he doesn't see any kind of uh, suspension for you know love-tapping the official. You know, I think, that, I think I'd be more worried about the Ravens' offense than I'd be worried about the defense this week. You know, can, the, can Lamar take advantage of a secondary that is very young, very inexperienced, and is riddled with injuries. I think I'd be more worried about that. And can you actually get Mark Andrews into the game for once? Can you get some targets to him? Is he going to show up? I mean, one point or another, not just fantasy owners are going to be complaining. Yeah, Mark Andrews is the definition of like, I will get either gets like six to eight catches and two touchdowns or is completely a non-factor in the game. And last week was closer to the non-factor side. And the week before. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't even know where, I don't know where the Ravens get all this cap space for all these great defenders, man. It just blows my mind how teams want to get rid of talent like Ngakwe, like it's nothing. I know the Vikings are, you know, basically rebuilding at this point. I mean, we're gonna start transitioning those dollars. The offense is basically free right now. That's the reason. It's so young. Yeah, I mean, looking at the defensive roster, I mean, the biggest contracts right now: Brandon Williams, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, obviously. But, I mean, Campbell was uh, a relatively cheap pickup. Magakwe's a pretty cheap pickup. Wolf, pretty cheap. Wolf, yeah. McPhee's a veteran minimum. Yeah, I mean, Judon, we have the tag. Um, yeah. But after that, um, who knows what we're going to do with him. I was going to say, the one thing that you don't want to see with the, ra- the amount of talent that Ravens have is you're not, not being able to sign a lot of these guys long-term and don't want to be like the Cowboys where you can only pay – two or three guys and you don't have that depth to support Lamar in the future. I mean, that's, that's the the reality. We're already bracing ourselves for the fact that we're not going to get to keep everybody. We're going to start losing good players and hopefully we get comp picks and then draft new good players. That's the, that is the, uh, what is it? The correcting factor essentially of the NFL is eventually like you can't keep everybody, even if you're drafting out of control, which we've been doing recently. That's why you got to take advantage of the window when you've got it. I know. That's why COVID was such a bummer. I feel like it's really kind of like making this whole season just harder and harder to uh, navigate. So I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the championship will be won by a team that deserves it. And it's going to be, it's going to be great for them, but it's, it's hard not to recognize the fact that there are an exceptional amount of additional struggles and challenges for all the teams. So I think with that, we should get into our bold predictions for this episode and uh we like to start off with the guest so pete let us know what's your bold prediction for this game and your score prediction 
Well, with the injury to Jonathan Taylor, I'm thinking that Naheem Hines is going to get a little bit more touches out of the backfield, and I'm going to predict that he's actually going to have two rushing touchdowns this week and not just receiving touchdowns. I'm going to go three total touchdowns out of the backfield from Naheem, two receiving, one, excuse me, two rushing, one receiving, and um, knowing that the Ravens haven't scored below 20 against any opponent with Lamar, I'm thinking that this is going to be a close one. I'm going to go Ravens 27, uh, 21 on the last uh, last ditch interception by Philip Rivers like he usually does in forced coverage. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to guess Peters grabs that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, my bold prediction is I'm going to pick on Philip Rivers again. I'm going to say that even without – well, we don't know for certain whether or not Marlon Humphrey will or won't play. I think that the Ravens are able to get some picks here and we'll get at least three off of Rivers. And then for the score, I mean, gosh, this game is really interesting just because, I mean, I still view the Colts as kind of an enigma team. I don't really know if they're good or not yet. And like Pete's saying, this upcoming slate of schedule that they have, starting with the Ravens, is really going to tell the entire NFL community what the Colts are or not. But I do think that the Ravens are not too happy about losing to Pittsburgh. Uh, So the Colts are catching the Ravens at the wrong time. I'm going to say... 31-13 Ravens. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, the uh, the biggest thing that I want to see is a, a bounce-back game for Omar. Definitely did not have a great game against the Steelers last week. I'm going to say for my bold prediction that he ends up with three touchdowns and zero turnovers in this game. I think that is honestly going to be the <laughs> biggest X factor in this for me. I, I think he can do it. It's just uh, just a matter of him dialing in and not making those same mistakes because that's the biggest thing we've seen from the Ravens is that they have all the talent in the world but they're just a lot of uh, a lot of mental mistakes uh, in execution on, on the offense and defensive sides that they really need to clean up uh, for them to achieve their full potential and so um, I, I kind of agree with with Peter on this one you know the <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to be the Colts right now in this situation um, even though the Ravens have not been uh, the same team that they were last year at this point, uh, they're still uh, the NFL knows that they have a lot of talent and they know that they could be very dangerous uh, in the right situations. I'm going to say the Ravens are on top this one, 34-20. Well, allowing Chris and Peter to go ahead of me makes my bold prediction sound repetitive. My original plans... <laughs> Uh, were to say that Lamar was going to pass for over 325 yards, but I will pivot, pivot uh, <laughs> to uh, I'm going to go back to the well of week five. I'm going to say Hollywood gets two touchdowns, which kind of goes off of that uh, you know prediction that there's going to be a bounce back game and that uh, Lamar is going to have a lot of success. Uh, for score prediction, again, to echo what Peter said, I think he crossed the wrong time. I think we're going to really score and run the points. I also think the defense is going to play well, uh, despite the fact that they're getting a little thin. I'm going to call for 38-13 to 13 Ravens. You know, I like to say that as much of a diehard fan as I am for the Colts, I like to remain optimistic. And I, you know, it's going to pay me. It's going to pay me to see us have to go up against the Ravens after the Steeler game. 
that revenge is going to be that's revenge is going to be hard this hard to watch. But you know, I'm cautiously optimistic as a lot of fans are. So we will see. It's going to be a nice grit and grind battle between us. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, if, if the Ravens come out and do uh, lose this game, I, I think that would definitely be an inflection point for both of our teams, right? I mean, the both coming in at five and two, and you know, very clearly, you know, the Ravens have had high expectations given the fourteen and two season that they had last season. Um, but if they're on the wrong side, looking at five and three, and then the Colts are looking at six and two. And very clearly, I think the the team uh, roles have have been reversed. If that were to play out, <laughs> I think the Ravens need this win a lot more than the Colts just to keep pace with the Steelers. If the Ravens don't win this game, it's gonna get nasty. <laughs> it's already getting bad on the message boards and on Twitter. It's gonna get real bad. I mean, it might yeah. not matter. You know, by the end of the season, it might be you know everyone but but uh, the Vikings and the Jets make the playoffs. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> The Ravens have been really good at winning the games they need to win. And I think they'll do all right here. That's my that's my hunch. Obviously, 38 to 13. <laughs> that's a that's a foot stop. But uh th- this team's too good to be pushed down for too long. I I, I truly believe that. Uh, it would take a lot more injuries than we we're currently experiencing for them to be completely down and out. Uh, I think as long as you have this much talent, they're always capable of uh turning it on. Yeah, if you really look at it, aside from the Chiefs game, um, you had a quarter where they fell asleep in Philadelphia and uh, a half against Pittsburgh where they could have played better. Outside of that, you know, they've really taken care of business. And on a serious note, if the Colts do surprise you all and and we actually do win, I'm calling it now. Phillip Rivers is going to have kid number 10. (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) on that note let's end this episode pete thanks so much for joining us uh thanks you so much guys for having me love listening to you guys podcast well thanks for that man we enjoy making them i think we're all looking for consistency out of the ravens this game uh the outside environment of covid is going to make that even harder lots of expectations on this team and they just got a little bit more difficult for them you know add in the injuries you have uh, Stanley out for the year. No one knows how injured Tyre Phillips is. The guy can't seem to keep healthy. So we got a lot to watch this game. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to follow us, Ravens underscore recap on Twitter. Subscribe to your podcast player of choice. Let's hope for a big win for the Ravens and a uh, bunch of healthy players by the end of the week.